Real quick, guys. So many of you guys know I was able to retire in 2021 at the ripe old age of 35 years old. And the reason I was able to do that wasn't because my micro gym was successful and profitable. It was, but it's that's not why. It was what I did with my profits. I purchased commercial real estate back in 2016. And in 2021, I was able to walk away now earning more money as a landlord collecting you know mailbox rent checks than I ever, ever could owning even the my best gym. Okay. And I want this for other owners because this really is the only play to true wealth and retirement in the fitness industry as I see it. So I created the gym real estate company. I went and got my broker's license and I am now formulating a team of brokers across the country to help gym owners lease and buy buildings. If you or anyone you know wants to work with someone who understands the fitness industry and can help you with real estate, not simply from a typical broker, you know, oh, doing some showings, passing along a few listings, but they actually can help you figure out your operational capacity, the amount of revenue you can generate, negotiate sales prices, help you out with lending options and partners and getting you a building, even when you think you can't afford to buy one, then please go to Instagram, go to at Jim Real Estate. That's the Instagram handle. That's the only way you can get in touch with us. We have no other, we have no website, nothing like that. Go to Instagram, shoot me a DM. Let me know about your project, your real estate needs, and I'll get in contact with you. All right, on with the podcast. Man, you look fucking fancy, bro. What up, dude? How you doing? Doing good, man. I, li- I like that you very fucking Grand Cardone of you. What's very Grand Cardone of me? Your setup. Oh, he's the fucking, he's the, he's a real estate guy, right? Uh, like he's ten, he's, ten, he's like a 10, he's 10 X, right? Is that him? Yes, that's him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I got so us rolling. So, so I, I got, I got us rolling right now. Yeah. That way, if it's good, we'll just keep it. Otherwise we'll edit it, but that's fine. That's fine. What's up, man? How are you? Huh. Better now than I have been for a while. <laughs> yeah. Wait, are you telling me brick and yeah. mortar is tough? <laughs> oh, dude, I, I knew brick and mortar was tough. I know you um, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most it's, people, you know, it, it, everyone, it's, everyone, 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 everyone. I was talking to someone about this. I was like, uh, "How do you think Sean's? Uh, how do you think Sean's doing brick and mortar?" Was I'm like, "I, I think he's be fine." Here's the thing: it's like any gym right now that survived COVID, like everything after that, like you were literally forced to shut down. If you if you fuck up now after surviving that, it's kind of like, but Sean literally had like had uh, an act of God literally decimate the physical premises to to the to the degree of it no longer being salvageable so mm-hmm. i think now if it's a rough first quarter of sales i think he's gonna be okay yeah well th- that, yeah you're talking about hurricane sandy back in 2012 yeah. the the difference between covid and that was the rest of the world kept moving one was real and- <laughs> sure but what like during 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 sandy like you could be one town away from us and I have no and clue nothing was a problem yeah. and so now all of the people who lived in our town had left and gone to live in these other towns yeah. and so they were starting to join these other gyms because we didn't have one and so it was a to- it was a totally like hey wait a minute are we the only ones who got punched in the face like yeah. we, we, it was just us where in COVID, it was like, oh, we're all just getting punched. Yeah, we're all right we're now. all in it together. We're all in it together. Yet yeah. we weren't. No, <laughs> yeah, no. you couldn't tell we're that we not. were. Yeah, we're, we're still, still not. not. Yeah, but, we're still not. But this, the, the thing that makes this brick and mortar so different is we're having to explain to a market what it is, and I'm doing it without being the person doing it. I'm the guy who understands it the best. Because that that's just the nature of the business, right? Like you own the business, you understand the business the best, and then you try to do your best to educate and develop people who can speak to it 80% as clearly as you can. And then they try to educate people 80% as clearly as they are. Yeah. And one of our rules has been, I'm not allowed to be the person who does it. And so it's, you know. It's a good, it's a good rule. It's a, it's a good rule. Mm -hmm. I, it's so a couple of things, you know, when you were, the CrossFit version of your brick. When you were a CrossFit affiliate, mm-hmm. you still had to explain that a little bit, but still CrossFit was at least, was it, was it enough of a buzzword for where they had the, they had the idea or were you having to still explain it back in the day? People were calling it Crossfire. Crossfire. And, was and that like, I, a, you, like a, that was like a game. Yes. It was like a so, Crossfire. Yeah. yeah I remember that. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, when I first started my CrossFit gym, um, 
it, it was a similar educational lift. The difference was at the time, what CrossFit did really well for the local marketplace is there wasn't really boutique fitness in every town. And so at the, there was a New York sports club in our town and there was another place called Synergy. And then there was like a kickbox gym and that was kind of the thing. So when we opened CrossFit, it was an alternative to those. We got a space that strategically had a big picture window in the front. You could see the rig, you could see the equipment. And we were in a, a busy retail street and people would walk in and ask what Crossfire was. Yeah. And we were able to build that. There was a lot of explaining to do, but the price was just not a barrier. Like it was, but it wasn't, you know, telling people we're $175 a month in 2012 when the other gym in town is 49 and 15 was a lift. But when you compared it to personal training, it was a bargain. Yeah. And and also that's never been your the heart that's always plays to your strength. That's totally. the other thing. Whenever um an owner who is incredibly strong at sales looks to scale sales, it's tough. Just kind of like why they're not letting you do it right now. Again, I understand why. Mm -hmm. That's that's smart. So let me ask you this with active life, because this was something like I was working with a lot of um when Jim was CEO over at OPEX, I had a handful of OPEX clients I was working with. Mm -hmm. And I and I had this conversation with Jim a, a few times, but it's like, I always found more success with them at the local marketing level, advertising those OPEX gyms as a, in per, and essentially as a personal training studio, someone looking for that because it was far too much to try to sell individual design. And then even when I dumbed it down to personalized workouts, it's still, I was like, just go with personal training. Mm -hmm. sell 10 plus sessions up front and then downsell them to individual design once they kind of get a feel for the whole thing. But that was still complicated because people, you know, they thought it was personal training, but it really wasn't. And when people hear personal training, just like a gym that hears, you know, or someone hears boot camp, you instantly think of a thing and it either has high value or low value. So for you guys, where are you stuck? Like for, you know, you had to, you had to explain to people what CrossFit was, but they didn't have a real good anchor for it back in the day. But now explaining what active life is, how has that been? Because you definitely don't want to say it's just personal training because you guys are doing more than that. But that's probably the closest buzzword that's going to you know, re resonate with that individual. We're talking to the problem. We're not even talking to what we are. We're talking to the problem that people are experiencing. And the people who are walking in are acknowledging having that problem. And it's working. Right? I mean, we we it's not working as fast as I wanted to. Let's not mix two things up, right? Like I'm not like, I haven't built the vault for all the cash yet. We're not there yet. Uh, but word around town is very strong and leads are starting to come fairly regularly without much lift from us to acquire those leads. And the people who are coming in as those leads are coming in saying the things that are unfortunately going to be true for a long time. I've checked out all the other places and it seems like you're the only one who's going to be able to help me. When you ask, why, why did you check us out last? Well, because I heard you're very expensive and I wanted to see if there was a cheaper way to do it. And it seems there's not. So it's working. It's just, we, we have to keep the eye on, this is not meant to be a business that on day one, quarter one, even quarter two is turning out a ton of profit because of the way we set it up. But long-term, it will be a very stable profit center that we can depend on. You guys, um, and for anyone who hasn't been to Tropical uh, Long Beach over there in New York, you guys are like on a peninsula, right? No, we're an island. You're, you're Okay, it's a legit island. I knew that you got to cross over some shit. I just didn't know that it was connected to the mainland or not. Dude, it, you you got to cross a drawbridge to get here, which is got highly it. inconvenient if you don't live on the island. <laughs> I had the idea when I was in Cleveland for uh, Thanksgiving this past year. Mm -hmm. I got stuck. I went to this really nice gym in downtown Cleveland, which is just like an oxymoron in general, but like mm -hmm. it was a dope fucking facility. And, but then I get stuck and I totally forgot Cleveland has a legit fucking drawbridge, like giant tugboats that go through. And my ass is sitting there for fucking 40 minutes while this boat moves at literally seven millimeters a minute. Mm -hmm. And I, I just like, I'm so, I could, could a plane take me out? I had to pay for a helicopter to take me out of me here right now. Fuck this place. I'm so glad I moved. Drawbridges are bullshit. Any city that has a drawbridge, it just pisses me off. Well, especially when most of the boats that go under the drawbridges have a super high antenna that seems unnecessary in <laughs> yeah. 2023. I'm like, you're driving a dinghy. You're yeah. fucking rowing that thing under the bridge. You don't need such a big antenna. 
Yeah. Uh, this was a giant tugboat. Like it generally had probably commercial goods. I'm just like, why can't you like fucking pay for an hour of consulting with Elon and make this thing smaller and more efficient, <laughs> just not even electric, just smaller. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so uh, as I was leaving, you know, thinking about you in that island, you will have that nice element that once you tap into the 1% group, which your price point is going to, you know, put you mm -hmm. in essentially, it doesn't take long for that word of mouth. And I've got clients, one that we both work with, like uh, Chacon, mm -hmm. um, and very similar. He has a lot of high-end clientele that comes through his gym at CJ Strat, you know, uh, through the seasonal times. And it's like, well, how do I capitalize on that? Like, well, how is it that rich people all buy Louis Vuitton and Gucci and because they see other rich people with it. Now you don't have a, you don't, you don't have anything, even apparel wise, we can make great enough to make that the thing, but it's like, how can you make sure other rich people know that this rich person goes there? Cause we've all got that one, 1% client. And we're like, God, if I could just get five of his friends now, besides direct going direct to the source and saying, I like you, you're one of my best clients. I'd like five more of you. I know you got five friends, family, coworkers, employees, that need to get their shit together. How can I help them? Besides doing that, which is what I initially recommend, it's like, it's well, you've got to get their permission and do some extra media on them and you have to put it out there. That's the fastest way to make sure people know that that rich person works with you because they're probably not going to do it on their own. They're not going to wear the Active Life Long Beach t-shirt to the fucking gala at the, the country club. Right, well, it, it, it's part that. So so to, to, to back it up a little bit, we have people who can't afford to work with us who decide to do it anyway, because the choice is either limit the lifestyle that they're going to live or move some stuff around so that they can work with us. We have one person in particular who she just told us a story. She's got a financial advisor who was like, Hey, we got to knock this item off of your list because it's a big number. And I don't know how long we can sustain that. And she was like, you move around whatever you need to move around so that I can afford to do this forever. And the reason that she did that is she's got a hip replacement. She has osteoporosis, so she's had some stress fractures recently, and she's got some developmental issues from when she was a kid. So she she can't afford to work with us, but she would rather have the financial pain than the loss of access to a life that she wants. So she makes the sacrifice. Yeah. Now, make, the other thing- Make adjustments to the lifestyle, otherwise make adjustments to the life expectancy. That's it. That's it. So- we're getting that kind of buzz around town, which is great. I mean, we have, if you pulled the income of our clients, I think that you would find the income of our clients is very variable from people who have no wants financially to people who are literally month to month seeing if they're going to make it. And they're both making the commitment to come into the space. Most of our clients are not active on social media. We've found that Instagram, for example, is more useful for the people who follow active life, who want to see what we're doing in the space to follow the local active life Long Beach account and see how we're talking to our consumers. But we're not finding clients on Instagram and they're not finding us. But Facebook. We're going to we're going to start exploring with Facebook and LinkedIn much more. Yeah, I would think those two Instagram. places by far. But the number one lead source for us in terms of predictability, if we do this, we get leads. Interestingly enough, is the opposite of what you would see for a regular gym. It's the farmer's market. But if you set your CrossFit gym up at the farmer's market, you might or might not get leads. And I've heard you talk about the idea of like, don't set up a barbell and an echo yeah, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. farmer's market. Yeah, that's how you right? do it, but yeah. Right. We set up a booth at the farmer's market with renderings of what the space looks like. And we just talk to people. Like we buy, we buy the coffee from one of the coffee vendors and give it away to everybody who's at the farmer's yeah. market. We walk away and give it away. Yeah. They see the shirt. Who are you? Why are you doing this? We make ourselves, as I heard Paul Gomez once say, never be a rat amongst rats in terms of how we want to be a vendor at the CrossFit games for progenics. So we become the vendor at the farmer's market who everybody is talking about when you come to the farmer's market. Without fail, we leave every farmer's market that we pay $50 to be at with two new clients. The renderings are like my biggest thing. I beg, beg my concept clients when they're go when they're opening up and we're doing pre-sell. I'm like, please, 
get me five to seven 3D renderings of the facility. I don't care if it's not what the exactly the final thing is going to look like. I promise you the things I'm asking you to do are going to pan out a lot better when people can see the visual inside. And you guys did a really good job of that. And then I've really enjoyed watching the why behind it on Instagram, which I know is obviously far more B2B for you so other gym owners can understand how much thought you put into it. You know, the member doesn't really care about the thought process of the hallway and the psychology of what's happening when they walk down that hallway as much. It 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 hits them subconsciously as it occurs. But I but I've really appreciated you guys putting that information out there as to why you spent the time, energy, and money doing it. Because as you obviously you are fully aware, especially now, um a fit is no fucking joke. No, and even done poorly. It's the most expensive part. Well, the first thing I'll say is we don't allow that to happen subconsciously for our prospects and clients. Because when they come in, we explain it to them. We want them to know, like all of the things that we came up with were as a result of interviewing over a hundred people who either recently left the gym or who have never been a member of a gym and asking why, why did you leave or why are you not a member anymore? And the hallway you're talking about, for example, is you can't see what's going on in the class or in the group or in the in the room, if you will. And you always know where you're supposed to be. There's a light that you follow to make sure that you're not in somebody's way. That came as a result of an overwhelming number of people saying, the reason I stopped going to the gym is it was uncomfortable. I didn't want to get in people's way. Yeah. I didn't know if I was on a piece of equipment somebody else was using or if I was standing where their eyeline was. And they, I, I got tired of hearing, excuse me, and feeling like, oh my God, I did something wrong. And so we built it so that it was impossible to misunderstand where you're supposed to be. And when we tell people that, we watch their shoulders drop. We watch them just relax. They're like, oh my God, you guys have thought of me. Right? We, we want them changing shoes when they move from the front area to the training floor. And we have a locker for them that is temporary. They don't get to leave their stuff in the locker. And we want them to leave their phone in the locker so that they can focus on themselves. Every locker, guess what? It has three phone chargers in it, one of each type that somebody might have. So they're incentivized to leave their phone in the locker, right? There's a reason to do it. Oh, my charge is low. Well, you can drop it in the locker and charge up. Yeah. And when we put those, the reason we built those renderings and did all of that work to speak to what you're describing, those little details all added up, probably cost us an extra 60 grand an outfit. I mean, the renderings themselves were like three grand. Yeah. So when you do the math on that as well, how many clients over what period of time are we more or less likely to hit those 10 clients in five years instead of hitting those clients in 12 years because we did these things more the well, it's a no brainer. Yeah. And the psychology of renderings and I've had gyms keep going to those off-site organic marketing events like a, a farmer's market for four years. And they're mm -hmm. like, well, we're not new. I'm like, listen, brother, first off, no offense, four years in, you're still fucking new. You're still a baby. So, but new excites people. Like initially, like I, at, at Urban, even till the day we shut down, I'm like, oh yeah, we're the new gym down the street. I mm -hmm. always refer to it as that. We're that new concept down the street. And I mean, it just, it, that's, you know, Hermosi had that play forever. He would always have gyms after they beat the shit out of the initial six week play, do the grand opening or grand mm -hmm. reopening play. And it, it does. The psychology of new is novel and novel uh, excites a part of the brain. It gets people interested. Let me, let's talk. I want to talk, uh, if you don't mind sharing with people, you know, starting a concept, even with something, yours is a, it's, it's got a unique sales proposition in the market. There's not a lot of proof. There's not proof of concept of it outside, which is obviously why this whole thing is go back to one of the, like, what is it? Two years ago. Now I had you on just to talk about why you were mm -hmm. taking, taking the risk um, of doing this, where, you know, what was your, what was your total cost in? Like, where are you at? How much did it cost to get this location open? Where are you guys at with your clients? What does your current payroll look like? Like, talk to me about the expense of this other thing. Because, again, to give you all the props in the world, 
and I think I said on that podcast, bro, you could just be, you could just chill, sit back, sit pretty. You're, you kill it at sales online in the DMs. You're probably one of the most thug DM salesmen I know. You've nice. got a great <laughs> online product and education. You have a presence. And I'm like, why the fuck are you taking out a personal guarantee and all this money to go play fucking brick and mortar? Trust me, homie. I got both. Don't do it. I know. Yeah. Like, I didn't know this was Hurricane Sandy revenge you were coming after. Like, you like getting the jersey back on. But like, don't do it. But no, what? I love that you did, man. I do. The, I, I give you all the props in the world. I appreciate it. The reason why we did it is because we're advising clients on how they can do it. And what we were seeing is clients who were doing at most 80% of what we would do in our own space and at least 25 to 30%. And we all know the language of the client isn't going to be successful if they don't follow the instruction. Well, the other side of that conversation is why aren't they following your instruction? What is it that they're lacking trust in? And how can you develop that trust so that the client believes it's a good idea to follow it? And for us, it just started to feel too disingenuous to tell people what to do without doing it. And so our team, to their credit, approached me and said, we need to have our own location. And that location needs to be equal parts successful on its own and test kitchen. And that's been so valuable because we've been able to see like, oh, this actually doesn't work in this environment and it needs to be this instead. A great example of that is the marketing, right? If I was still running a CrossFit gym, I'm not going to the farmer's market. I'm not. I'm doing things more along the lines of what you described, where it's like a, a morning workout at a high rise condominium building because people now know they're coming to work out. They're not going to buy eggplants and finding themselves breathing heavy on an echo. Yeah. It's not like it's it's the difference between content marketing and interruption marketing, right? The CrossFit gym at the farmer's market is interruption marketing. The CrossFit gym at the condo building is content marketing. Us at the farmer's market, we're education. So we're content marketing. That's That wouldn't have worked if I ran a different business. So now knowing this is extremely valuable. There are a million examples of that. But I'll get into some of the brass tacks that you asked about. Build out costs right around 300 grand. So um, that includes the- How many square uh, feet? Ask me or ask the landlord. No, per your lease, per your lease. Uh, 3,100 square feet. What do you think you have? What, what, where's the discrepancy here? Did I just lose you? Where you at, homie? Did I lose you? I got you now. Oh, you okay, lost me no. for a second. Yeah, we're good. I said, so what were you saying? Like you said, ask me or the landlord. What's the discrepancy about that? Uh, the landlord says it's 3,100 square feet. If we measure wall to wall with lasers, it's at most 2,700 square feet. Your and fucking then, broker didn't do that? I was my broker, man. What broker? Uh, did why you, did you just call me? You a little, god damn it. I because, hate when they do that. No, I hate the, that. I'll tell you why. Because it didn't matter. The, the, like I didn't care. I was, this is the space I wanted. What is yeah, the yeah, space yeah. worth? And how would I lay out the space? It does, yeah, like, I don't. You, but but here, here's like this is I think this is important for for business owners, right? You can argue about the semantics of oh, it's a twenty seven hundred square foot space. It's not a thirty one hundred square foot space. Okay, yeah, fine. Then it's thirty four dollars a square foot. Do you want it or not? Yeah, I do. Okay, well, then who cares? Sure. It's uh so and even some states like uh there's there's listing practices like did they use a broker or is it just a, an old the guy who oh, owned they, it they used a broker who I, they own a hundred buildings okay they used a broker who I had to incessantly call to get inside I'm like if I was a fucking real estate broker I, I don't understand how you fail all you have to do is pick up the phone and call somebody back yeah. But that's one where like you you like the thing that annoys me is they're the listing brokers, the listing broker is supposed to double check his clients work on that because that net number is probably something that someone really shitty someone originally in the original drawings, the 2D diagram, what we call mm -hmm. AccuMeasure drawings did. And that could be what the fucking city has. And if that's sure. what the city has. And then like, let's say like I've got a perfect client right now. If that would have happened to him, he would have needed one more door as an exit. Mm hmm. By that 300 or 400 square foot deferential and that mm -hmm. to add another exit door with points of egress for him with a 50 yep. grand. So right. like, it's like those little things oh, that just shit pisses well, me so, off so well, bad. Well, so, so, so I have the savvy of knowing those things, right? Like for us, it's an exit door needs to be 
uh, no less than 90 feet from another exit door. Yeah, yeah. So if you have an exit door that is more than 90 feet away, like if you have a space in the gym that's more than 90 feet from a door, you got to put a door there. Mm-hmm. We actually closed an exit door because I'm like, that. that's not going to work for our, our layout. We knew all of these things before we put an offer in on the lease. I knew it wasn't the square footage they were saying. And it didn't matter. I was like, this is what I'm willing to pay for the space. So yeah. let's let's do it. Um, yeah. So if it was about 300K. Did you get a discount because you didn't show with a broker? Um, No, I got more months on my, technically, yes. I got more months on okay. my front. As long as you got something, that's that's the only that's the only benefit there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not bad. So with 300,000 on a 3,100 square foot building, so we're talking 96 bucks uh, square foot in upfit. Yep. And a lot of that has to do with you were very smart. The reason you like that building location, other things, but it's previous use applied very well for you. Correct. Yeah. We had no zoning to do. It was, yeah. it was previously zoned as a gym. Yeah. Now it wasn't a successful gym, sure. but it was, it was previously zoned was, as a gym. Was the layout. Did you re complete gut the layout or was the layout somewhat decent for you? Um, we left the bathrooms where they are. Everything else got changed. That's a huge, okay. That's, that was gonna be my next question is like, did you have to do anything plumbing wise? Because that's, I mean, shit gets crazy. Mechanical, electrical, and plumbing cost goes at just 96, like under a hundred dollars a square foot. Really mm-hmm. fucking good right now yeah. in commercial. Um, it was, it was roughly, uh, $25,000 in electric. That was, that was the biggest. That's the biggest ticket item. Okay. Expense. Yeah. Uh, cause cool. we did change everything electronically, right? Like we, we have TVs in the wall that are meant to project the program design for the coach who's working in the room to see it anytime they want. We had to set, we had to measure, everything had to be done before we started. Got it. Right. Cause we're setting things up where we're taking all of the walls down, putting supports behind the walls so that we can anchor a landmine into it and no pun intended, anchor an anchor cable anchor into, yeah. into the wall. So we had to know exactly where everything was going to go before we started any construction. I love that you're using Isaac's um, products. I love that dude. I, I, I use a shit yeah, every a, week. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yes. Um, every station in our in our space has one. So, yeah, like three hundred thousand dollars in upfit is about what it what it cost. Uh, yeah, what's nice, your rent? What's your rent? About eight. Okay. About about twelve. So you're at about two k a month. What are you talking about? Eight dollars a square foot. No. $8,000 oh. a month. Oh, I was say like eight bucks a square foot. I was like, holy shit. Okay. All right. So yeah. Okay. 8K a month. So I want to do 800, 8K divided by 3,100 times 12. So you're, yeah, you're 31 bucks a square foot. Okay. So yeah, you're good. Like, okay. That makes way more sense. All right. So we're at 31 bucks a square foot for everyone listening. Sean's outfit was about 300K. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Continue. Where, how are we doing on the, that's like major rent expense side. Talk about the payroll side. Cause you will, you didn't grow into it cause you're a big boy and you did not, you know, the deal with starting these businesses underfunded. And luckily enough, you have worked your ass off to build a business that could help fund this project. And you could bring in, you know, people from other places in the country that were working very, you know, uh, you know, fucking Cody, like bring in some other people yep. that were going to help run this thing. So talk to me about what the like opening day payroll budget was. So the opening day payroll budget was set to be $12,000 a month to include um, one leadership staff and two coaches. Okay. Um, It's under what we want to pay. And we felt like it's the minimum that we could afford. It's the minimum that we could ask somebody to take and work full time to help us grow the business. Right. So that's the minimum starting. What ended up happening was a third coach who is a superstar fell into our lap. And so that number went from 12 to 16 K because we, we could not pass on hiring this person. Okay. So now we have three full-time staff professionals, one full-time staff who's leadership, who doesn't coach any classes, doesn't do any personal, like he's the business. They are this, they are the execution of the business. So our payroll works such that they're all based at 4k a month. And then they see step increases in a predictable manner over time and business growth. So they're, they're capped, their income, if you will, is capped at 120K a year each with us being at our capacity within 10%. Got it. And that will be with them. If they're at 120, they'll be doing 25 hours of floor work and about 12 hours of administrative work to include program design and things along that nature. Okay. So uh, between rent, 
and payroll we're looking at like around 24k of of uh you know well-known recurring um payroll expenses and then let's just add a couple you know you have your miscellaneous bullshit but it's a little under 30 grand per month is kind of your fixed expense yeah it's like it's it's right around 30 okay Cool. How, uh, and so when you opened, you guys did some pre-sell, you guys had some cool marketing stuff. We got to talk about in the last podcast, um, the local, the the local place (laughs) that bombed it's well, so let's talk about that. I want to like, what were the things that you thought like were boom, that's going to hit and it didn't, what were the things that hit that you thought were going to suck? Let's, let's get all that out. Yeah. So the marketing play that was unique that you were describing is we bought appetizers for everybody at a restaurant one night and gave them a card to explain to them about who we were. And said, this is a gift from us. And the restaurant owner charged us $3 a head and they served it to 150 people three nights in a row. And so roughly 1500 bucks to get in front of 450 people in an unmissable way. I'll I'll pay that all day, all day long. We assumed we would get some people booking calls off of that. We had zero calls booked off of that. I talked to the restaurant owner to ask him if he had any ideas as to why. And his thought process was, it was... We both thought it would work, but it turns out it was more interruption to their experience than it was additive to their experience. And I believe we will do it again. And what we will do next time is buy gift bags and fill those gift bags with something like a bag of popcorn and give them a card with a lot less information. It just says it's a gift from Active Life. Scan the QR code to learn more about us. So they hit the website. And and there'll be a little note on it that says, we hope you enjoyed your dinner. Now go home and enjoy your movie. Here's a bag of popcorn on us. Like that, we all think that will play better than a bowl of soup, a small sure. bowl of soup before dinner. Sure. Um, we'll see. Yeah, no, it's good. What I love because you, I've seen the content come out where you've talked a lot about kind of position yourself uh, out of interruption based marketing type scenarios mm-hmm. and, and then having the ability to look at that and be like, okay, yeah, I guess that was kind of more of an interruption based thing. Someone's sitting down eating their thing. They're not expecting to get pitched other than the waiter pitching them on the fucking today's special right. type scenario. So, okay. So, um, but here's the one thing while no lead acquisition came from that, cause there's a couple, like I always look at marketing funnels. Are we looking for lead acquisition out of this, which is generally what most people well, are doing. And then from that funnel, you're looking for client acquisition. This Brand awareness. Well, well it, it failed from the perspective of what we wanted and expected it to do. It sure. was ambiguously successful in a sense that 450 people now know that we exist who didn't before. The, the, way, yeah. go ahead. the way I look at it, it's, it was effectively a higher touch version of sending a mailer. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what it was. Yeah. And, and those things I tell people in the beginning, like even with pre-marketing, like pre-sale marketing, remember the first three to seven plays we run are just you getting people knowing you're single and looking to date. We're not fucking anyone on these first couple plays. Yep. This is all brand awareness in the beginning. You're a thing that never existed in anyone else's mind except your crazy ass. Now you yep. built out this thing, and now we want to go tell everyone about it and expect everyone to fuck right away. That's not how this is going to work. So just accept you will get zero clients, actual well, paying clients out of these things immediately. And if we take the bar analogy, because I love that analogy, right? Buy me a drink first. I yeah. love like when people on LinkedIn send me like a, Hey, I think my company would do great. I'm like, fuck off. You haven't <laughs> yeah. even asked a question, man. Yeah. 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 Um, but I used to promote parties. I used to promote like, you know, Thanksgiving Eve and new year's parties in Manhattan and sell thousands of tickets. The person throwing the party has a lot more opportunity to get laid than the person attending the party. And so where we're trying to position ourselves and by the way, babe, I never did, <laughs> right? My wife was with me since since those parties. Um, but the point is opportunity presents itself when you're in a status position. And so what we're aiming to do is to not be another person at the bar, but to be the person throwing the party. So that when we walk around the bar and we shake hands, people are like, oh, dude, amazing party. This is such a good time. Like, why did you do this? We just wanted to do a good job by the town. And if you think that what we're doing is interesting, we'd love you to come check us out. That's that's our marketing. That's the position we try to put ourselves into. So for example, another thing that developed business for us is the podcast. And I'm not talking about the active life podcast that gets 6,000 downloads an episode. I'm talking about the LB locals podcast that probably gets four downloads, not 4,000. Right. And the reason is, and you and I have discussed this both on podcasts together And we have discussed this live with our clients. 
when you go into a local business and offer them, we would love to have you on our podcast so that we can share with the town what you're doing. You've just done more for them than the Chamber of Commerce has done in the five years of them paying dues. And the Chamber's like, hey, will you throw your name on this fucking diner menu? Sure. Nothing. Nothing. That's not even brand awareness. Because no one sees it. They just spill their drink on it like, fuck, can I get another one of these menus? Like, that's a waste of money. Yeah. When we put you on the podcast, and now we start talking about you on all of our social media channels, and we give them content that they can now share with their audience. We are the new chamber of commerce in our town. And let me tell you something. If you want to go listen to some LB Locals podcasts, our audio on the first like eight sucks. It why, does it, why does it suck? I didn't do a good job training the guy who was doing them. And there was a lot of like talking nowhere near the microphone. Got it. Got it. Okay. You know, that kind I was of say, I was like, what happened? To, like Cleary didn't have this shit. He didn't no, have this shit down this for is, you. This is not, this is not a Cleary budget. Got it. Um, okay. It's one of the ways that we're able to afford to pay staff full-time salaries without them having full-time rosters is they have ancillary jobs that go away. Got it. When the place starts to fill. Got it. So, and they all lead to the place filling, right? It's not like, oh, you're going to do some random floor. bullshit. Yeah. Some bitch no, work. No, yeah. Nobody mops the floor. We hire a cleaning crew to mop the floor because- our clients paying thousands of dollars a month deserve to have a clean place, not a place where we move the dirt from point A yeah. to point B. Yeah, a professional cleaning it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the podcast has brought other business owners in and their clients. It gives us a reason to go have a conversation with a local business who otherwise we have no reason to go and talk to. And ultimately, the way that we look at it, there's a, there's a surf camp in our town called Scoot and Surf. You would be off of your fucking rocker to think you're going to open a surf camp in Long Beach that's going to be successful. And I don't care if you charge half as much money as Scoot and Surf. No one's coming. Because Scoot and Surf has done more for this town than any government, than any other business. And everyone in the town knows it. Everyone in the town knows it. So when they open up a camp, boom, it's full. When they want to do an event on the boardwalk, they have it. So we need to be the adjacent business to Scoot and Surf making our town better. So the um, the podcast is one way we do that. When we go to the farmer's market, we help people decide what they should buy. We don't just go to the farmer's market and wait for them to come to Stand us. Stand behind like, your table, yeah. We're there helping people make educated food decisions. Then we are partnering with the school district. And in June, we're putting on a health education night for the parents, teachers, and faculties that we are funding, that there's no expense to the people who are attending. And the school is chipping in by providing childcare for three hours for any adult who attends so that no one has an excuse not to be able to make it. And then after that, everyone who attends is going to have access to our online education and exercise portal so that they don't need to spend money on exercise anywhere that they anywhere. They're getting it from us for free. Think of it as micro gym university for the average person who isn't a gym owner, who doesn't know how to start yeah. or get restarted. It's all there for you. We're going to put staff in charge of monitoring it and providing support. And it's going to be fucking free, real free, 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 $0 free. Um, and we're going to do that for our town. And we're going to keep growing that. And the goal is to be the people who threw the party, not the people who attended it. It's good, man. I, uh, what you're, everything you're talking about here, I, uh, I've got this half cooked. I heard it. I heard, some, um, might have been Burke Kreischer said something like this, but it was this half cooked, uh, uh, paradigm I had of like, there's two kinds of women in this world. There's the kind that you jerk off to and the kind that you marry. That was Burke Kreischer. Was it Kreischer? It was, okay. It was on Rogan. He said, I could never marry the chick I jerk off. That's to. okay. That's okay. That's what it was. <laughs> It, but like, and I start, I think of that in business. I'm like, so, okay, there's those two kinds of women, the ones you jerk off to, and then the one you marry, there are some, sometimes they both are this one and the same. If you're lucky, Unicorns. Bus yeah, business is the same though. There's the business, the vision in your head that you had when you had your entrepreneurial seizure, a la Michael Gerber. And you're just like, I'm going to build this thing. I have this <laughs> vision for it. And then there's the business you actually fucking built. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, but the one in this, some people have successfully created one and the same. The business they had the vision in is the business they built. But mm -hmm. it, it comes down to a couple of things. 
it, it comes down to you knowing what it is you want, right? Understanding truly and understandably, like all the ins and outs about what it is you want and not negotiating and giving up small term things. So like, if you're looking for this one woman and you're like, yeah, five gone four dates. It didn't work out. Like, all right, she's a fucking five I'll three more whiskeys. She'll be a seven. I'm going to go with that. Just like a business, like how many of those guys and people you me know have made bad decisions for short-term financial gain, because even though it didn't align with what they ultimately would create it, but because they were acting on the short term, they did not have the balls to consistently stick to the plan. And mm -hmm. what you're talking about, all these marketing plays, they're not fast. They're no. long, long, long tail. They are expensive up front. They're going to be hard to track in the future. If you were sitting on a board and you, you know, fucking actively was a publicly traded company. They'd be like, uh, bye bye crazy fuck. Like, there's no way we're doing this because we can't track it. We, there's no return quick enough on a quarterly period. So anyway, that you made me think of Burt Kreischer, uh, fucking women essentially is what I'm saying. Well, so. well, well, what you're describing there is we've been able to make every decision that we've made, the ones that were successful and the ones that have failed in line with our values. And that's where people make a mistake. And I'll speak to you. There's a gym owner right now who's talking to us about potentially becoming a client. And I, I'm not sure he should, if I'm being honest, but I'm not the person who's making the, the sales conversation. And I don't have all the details. But he wants to start working with this other company first to generate the income to make it easier for him to pay us to do the work that we're going to do with him. And I was like, that's, that's a bad idea. Because the way that you're going to generate that income with this other company is going to be out of alignment with the values that we are going to have to help you generate income, which means you're going to acquire clients in a certain way. You're going to pay staff in a certain way. You're going to set up infrastructure if that other company is halfway decent that is going to have to be broken down and started over from scratch, which by the way is harder than just starting from scratch where you are right now. Where you are right now is, I don't really know. I'm trying a bunch of different things and I don't really know. Where you would go when you hire another consultant company who would who's promising 3X returns, they're promising $30,000 over the course of three months. We can have a conversation about that, but that's an aside. The way you're going to do that is going to require you to do things that we would be most likely in opposition to at least in the smallest margin. So what I mean there is you could do $30,000 in new business by selling personal training and increasing your rates. But what if you're selling personal training for too little money? What if you increased your rates by too little of an amount? And now we come in and we're like, this doesn't have a finish line. Your rates needed to go up by $60 more per month than you raised them by. You need to tell your members again. You're going to be like, ah, uh, I got to wait some time. They were really angry about that $12 price increase that we did. And that was just two months ago. Yeah. Right. And, and the personal training client, like, well, we're paying the staff member who's doing the personal training session uh, four nights. And so we can afford to do it for 70 bucks. Well, you then need to make 40 bucks. Every trainer more. can't do it 31. So you got to raise the rates on that too. Well, now all my staff lose all of that business. They had the perceived reality of having money coming in, but $31 an hour was never going to let them be pro anyway. So that also had no finish line. And these things become harder when you start elsewhere. Every gym owner listening to this is, uh, there are some, not every, that are going to think that like, well, I mean, I kind of always think of like Orange Theory in my town and F45 is like kind of like a feeder program into my thing. And that kind of works, right? Like if someone comes to me from Orange Theory just because they've been running, rowing, and using TRX bands, it actually is kind of a good thing before. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But with business, because I've heard very similar uh, to what Sean's heard. And I'm not saying that uh, best hour of the day or two brain are the Orange Theory of business coaching. But, you know, you know. They're the orange theory of business coaching. Um, but it's uh it, it be and when I say that, I don't mean that in any shade, dickhead way, but if you want to create a model in which you're gonna have one million successful entrepreneurs or you're going to be the thing for one cohort of people, it has to be template-based, rinse, repeat. You cannot be the CrossFit affiliate uh business solution without having a set script. And the second you have a set script. You are truly not solving anyone's problem. You solved 
a problem with certain methods and now slamming a lot of square pegs and round holes. But beyond that, but on business sides, let's say someone did, let's say someone did a system like a two brain or a, a best hour of the day. It's not easy to unwind. Sally can stop running on the treadmill at Orange Theory and rowing and doing TRX and walk into a gym and now pick up a barbell and pick up that thing. But to unwind a business practice and customers who are conditioned to a thing and the marketing that is now established as a thing with employees that now know a certain system and now you're just going to unwind it and go to active life. To, yeah, that I would 100% see where that individual, it would be uh, ill-advised to do so. I will say this. Um, we've had clients who we've sent to almost every company in the business, right? Not clients, prospects, who we've said, you shouldn't enroll with us. You should enroll with Stu. You should enroll with Best Hour. You should enroll with Factory Forged, right? The difference is that all of those all of those companies have their own way of helping you achieve profitability, right? That's that's effectively the goal. And the promise that you're getting is something that's a little bit different from place to place. Um, we refer people to you most often when they're like, I have no idea how to put myself out there. I'm struggling to make this difficult decision right now. And I would love a third party to give me some advice. And then I, I don't want to work with somebody long-term. I just want someone to kind of bounce things off of. I want my brand to be cooler. All of these things, we send them to you. If someone comes to me and they're like, I just want to do like good CrossFit. I'm like, great, go, you should go talk to best hour of their day because they do a really good job teaching people how to do traditional CrossFit. The constraints on that are you have to acknowledge you're not going to have career staff earning financially freeing income and members coming in getting specific results to problems that they have. Yeah, that's fine. Great. They're going to be awesome for you. Right? I'm good with that. When you're coming to us, you're saying, I have a different set of values than somebody who could work with one of those companies, you being maybe the only exception with whom it makes sense that oftentimes we share clients. You follow me? Yeah. Because you're able to help people see things from, you're like, you're agnostic to what they're trying to do for the client. Correct. It, it, that's that's the great part about I'm the guy I want to get fired. I'm the hinge of fucking business gurus. Like hinge <laughs> is the dating app that's meant to be deleted. I'm the guy that I want to get fired. I want mm -hmm. you to fire me. Come to me with the problem. Solve it. Fucking fire me. Go on and kick ass on your own. Another problem pops up. Come on back. But like I don't need you to adhere to a system. I never created a system for anyone in my entire life. I've literally looked at what people do and say, we could, you could do that better. You can do this better. Do this like this. Do this like that and do their particular fucking thing because mm -hmm. I just – this idea of a system for a model, I have – I don't care. That's why I have CrossFit gyms, like at fucking complete old school CrossFit gyms, competitive CrossFit gyms doing over you know doing uh a hundred thousand dollars a month and buying buildings and doing fine as well as like the premier like really nice boutique i want to be a metabolic alchemy type blend doing their thing really well it's like they're ju it's just problem solving and when i look at those other companies it, i've got no shade on them whatsoever i do acknowledge and i will stand on it their ability your ability to solve a problem is diminished and almost by after on a certain timeline non-existent when you're only ability to solve a problem is to follow this 12 step system we created mm -hmm. with Marcus Gerzi's rinse to repeated barbell logic fucking courses he created seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, what, I, what I'm describing there is because you're agnostic to how people want to do what they do in terms of the client avatar, you're like, oh, who's the client avatar? Okay, great. Let's go get them. What do they actually want? What do they actually need? What do you actually have to support that? Are you just full of shit saying this thing? And then when they show up, the model doesn't actually align with what you said publicly. Let's change how you're saying it publicly. That's what you do. And that's why we feel confident sharing clients with you. When it comes to a best hour, for example, if there's no sharing us and best hour, you don't have the same values. Your values over there are you want to be unapologetic CrossFit. You want everybody in your gym doing the open because you believe that that's part of what the brand is. You believe that a coach can assess a person in a group class while they watch them do the exercise. You don't believe assessments up front are necessary or valuable. You think personal training is an overrated thing that most people don't need. It's a result of bad coaching. And 
That's fine. That's that's my favorite one, by the way. That's my Don't, favorite. That's my that, favorite one listen, that they do. I've I've invited them on the podcast many times so that we can debate the topics in a civil way, and they've backed out over and over and over again because they don't want the discussion. But I still have respect for their ability to help somebody run a CrossFit gym. Um, I won't speak about Two Brain because I don't have any nice things to say there. But when it comes to what we do with clients and why we need to open the brick and mortar, to get back to Burke Kreischer, you got to drop the big dick on them. <laughs> you got to gotta come out and you got you got to say like, look, I am putting my money and my reputation right where my mouth is. You drop the and big dick will, on him, dad. <laughs> you drop the big dick on him, dad. We like, we're going to do everything in alignment with our values. And the tactics that we use are always going to align with our values. Some of them are going to be wrong. Some of them are going to fail. And we're going to reiterate. That's like the difference from what you were describing, just to get back to your main point, is tactics align with value. Some tactics need to change because they aren't working. But the value behind the reason for the tactic needs to stay the same. And that's where we don't compromise. Yeah. Buddy, 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 buddy. It's so funny how how uh, long we've all been doing this and how things have changed over the years. Can I ask you something on the business side for uh, Active Life? Of course. Not Long Beach. Have you got uh, – What's been the biggest, because I even think about my own business with the consulting and then, you know, then there was micro gym and then there was like now doing some, trying to do things with some bigger brands type scenario, different brand stuff for you. What's, how has that kind of evolved for you guys? Because it was, it was originally, it was like education on how to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And then originally, no, originally it was fix the problem for the person. Yeah. You guys would fly out, do it, or they flew to you and you had, you Mm -hmm. know, the games athletes and all that stuff on the B2B side for you. How, uh, how, or even on the BC has, how, how, what's the, been the biggest change for you and, and a change that came about due to like, I'm solving more expensive problems now. I don't need to do that thing or yeah. yeah. Um, we restructured our company in August of 2020 to be a company, right? Like at the time we were, we had to make the decision. It was basically how much can Sean stretch this thing? And we got to like $130,000, $140,000 a month uh, on, let's call it 70% margin back then. And what it came down to was, do we want to be a company that keeps doing this and grows incrementally uh, and either delivers or doesn't deliver depending on who the client is and when they come in and who they get to work with? Or do we want to drop the big dig on them? And really build a team that can scale to something transformative, right? I heard you talk to Marcus Philly and Marcus Philly talked about like, if you invest too heavily in staff and you're not profitable, that's a bad business decision. Uh, Tell that to Elon Musk, (laughs) who had to borrow money to keep Tesla alive and now is the wealthiest man in the world, right? Like that's, that's true if your ambition is not real, meaningful scale. Our ambition is real, meaningful scale. So we stockpiled almost a million dollars in profits just sat in the business bank account. And I knew we could lose 999,000 if the number was a million. I don't know what the number was exactly. And as long as there was still something there, we could keep going. And long-term, our goal is to be legitimately transformative where people see us as an off-ramp from the fitness industry or the healthcare industry, where both the fitness industry and the healthcare industry acknowledge this is a viable off-ramp. The way that that happens is partnerships with with uh, with hospital systems. It's corporate wellness that is done in a way that people aren't considering right now, right? It's, it's not corporate fitness. People mistake corporate fitness and corporate wellness. Most people are offering corporate fitness and corporate nutrition. And that's why Sally in accounting isn't enrolling. She's not ready for corporate fitness or corporate nutrition. She needs someone to help her with her money, her relationship, her mental health. So we're venturing into all of these things as we build out and build ourselves for that real meaningful scale. When we reiterated the team, I ended up letting go of about half of our leadership team and creating new leadership positions in November of last year. And we've continued to go. Our education went from being 12 weeks long, one hour a week to being 13 weeks, 13 months long with 
18 hours of pre-recorded content, an 800-page textbook, a 996-question open book test that you take as you go, a live one-on-one -on -one mentor, office hours with staff every single day, um, specialties that you can take afterwards that we're building in collaboration with industry leaders who are far beyond our scope. Um, and ultimately, what I really want us to be is a company that's able to take an order from Apple. We need 200 ALPs to support our corporate wellness company. Got you. We'll go source them. And we can offer that to the, to the market for free. Make it really hard to get in and guarantee the hire. <laughs> Excuse me. Damn. Getting dry throated over here. No, you're good. I, I, that's good. I, it's it's so interesting watching the evolution of some of my colleagues and friends and peers, um, and seeing how things ebb and flow and and things change. And I'm always interested in how much of it is uh, influenced by market conditions. How much is influenced by plateaus and ceilings that the, that maybe that current business model had, and so we had to come up. You know, we had to take that. And we had to go to the next level. Some of it just like personal lifestyle stuff. You know, like just deciding, hey, this is how I'm going to do it because this is the kind of lifestyle I want to live or I don't want to scale to too many employees and, and things like that. Um, yeah, it's a, it just and especially like, you know, guys like you, you've got family, you got the kids. Um, I, you know, even my conversation with Marcus, like watching uh, people's decision making and stuff with the business, because once you get once you really kind of get to a certain sophisticated level of seasons or a certain sophisticated season of entrepreneurship, a lot of the reasons that you make in the business to grow and stuff like that don't always align with this, the first three seasons that you made as far as that goes. Like what motivated you type scenario when when maybe money isn't doing it as much anymore? Has it now become purpose or has it become lifestyle? Like, right? Like what's, what's the quality of your life? How many hours a week are you actually wanting to work? Shit like that. Um, I've been fortunate in a way that it's always been purpose. And, and the money came as a result of having a purpose that I was in constant pursuit of. What I will say, I think it's important for people to know this. We're going to break even in March or April on the flagship. So our monthly carrying costs are going to be met or exceeded by our income, either by March or by April. And I'm proud of that because it's a much harder model to sell to people. We close almost 70% of people who book a consult with us. Meaning they go from discovery call, we say, yes, we think we can help you. They show up for a consult. Almost 70% of people are buying in the consult. And the minimum they're spending in the consult is $1,800. Question right? on the break-even. Yeah. Are we also referring to the 300K? Did you, no. do, you have a, do you have a note on if, that or did you pay that off? I, I paid that up front. Okay. Um, but if we're talking about, if we're going to amortize that over five years, we'll probably break even on carrying that by May. Okay. Um, but the, you know, the thing I, w I would love for people to take away from this podcast is that it is all purpose-driven, right? The person who comes to us, I, I understand if you're a gym owner, you think you can help that person right now. I promise you the reason they're not coming in is because they know you can't. It's not because you haven't effectively marketed to attract that person. It's because they look at what you're doing and they know it's not for them. And they look at what we're doing and they know that it is. So the person who's quitting the CrossFit gym, quitting the orange theory, aging out of the boutique, bored or uninspired by the commercial gym, wants to get off their ass and doesn't know what they would do if they did. They are coming to us because they know and they believe that we can help them. And we're doing it over and over again. And the only way that happens, in my opinion, is with specific solutions to specific problems with professional staff who dedicate their lives to doing it. And the only way you're going to get professional staff is if you pay them full time, you develop them relentlessly, and you incentivize them to stay with you. That's all that has to happen. When I hear guys like you talk like purpose driven, mm -hmm. it instantly because my I'm not purpose driven. Like WTF is it's not there's no purpose behind WTF. It is simply as it is, it is this is honest. I could literally be. I have a skill set and I have a, a core competency that I think is better than most, not as good as some, but that I thoroughly enjoy, like in my curiosity of the industry. And that's, I think, mainly me. I'm curious of the fitness industry in general. 
That's why I spend like my own money. The fl- I'm flying out to Seattle this week to go look at that industrious in place CrossFit model. I'm so mm-hmm. intrigued by that. That's not making. I mean, that's going to cost me thousands just to go do that for four days and fuck around and talk and learn and all this. Um, but I, someone's asked me, what's the purpose? Like, is the purpose of a mission? No, zero mission. I, I like to help solve gym owners' problems. I have a unique skill set to do so, and I will continue doing it for as long as it still excites me and makes me curious. And and I don't see that ever any anytime soon. But that's you know that's how things go. One day it might. But it's I, whenever I hear people talk about purpose, I, I, I initially my gut is always like, man, I, I don't really have a purpose driven from that perspective. I like, yes, I like, I want to help gym owners solve problems, but that's not really why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I've just, I selfishly love the Rubik. I've never was, I couldn't do a Rubik's cube and put a gun to my face, mm-hmm. but like I, that Rubik's cube, I fucking could play with all day, every day. Yeah. Well, we're all being selfish. Let's not fool ourselves about that. Right. Yeah. Like if I like to tell people like, Oh, you're doing that for somebody else. So if you gave money to charity and every time they said, that's it, <laughs> you, you, you'd you keep giving it to them because it's the right thing, right? No, you yeah. find another charity because fuck you. Say thank yeah. you. Um, so we're all doing it selfishly. The difference is who the bad guy is. And for you, the bad guy is, is more personal around yourself. It's the idea that there are people out there who are struggling, who don't need to struggle in their business. And they're just making stupid fucking mistakes. And other people who have no business telling them what to do are trying to tell them what to do. And you're like, no, I can do this better. It's fun for me and I want to do it. So that's, that's your purpose. Mine is just more societal. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes I wish, sometimes I'm envious of where you are because in 5,000 years, people won't know who Henry Ford is because no one will be driving cars anymore. Sure. Yeah. Like the people who do it for legacy. Yeah. What's, and that's, that's a huge part of why I'm doing it, but what's the point? How long, like how long? So, you know, it's, it's whatever floats your boat. One is not better than the other. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree hundred percent, man. Um, this is dope. What are we, what were we fucking going on the other? I want to, we were doing something the other day on Insta, uh, uh, the, the part-time owner. I had a post mm. about the part-time owner. So, uh, uh, so what I was saying, part-time owner, mm-hmm. you don't have to extract cash out of the business. It allows you to, the, when I say a part-time, mm-hmm. it means you have a full-time gig that's funding this thing. If you go, instead of Bank of America, you're essentially the bank of you, the owner. And because you don't mm-hmm. have to extract cash out of the business, it allows you to run faster than your competition who are full-time in the business and must extract cash out of it. Comma, if one of your competition is full-time, but they took out a loan and they're well-capitalized, you're probably neck and neck. Right. right? Well, the, the, the thing there is what you're really talking about is capital. And Correct. what I would say is I'm not full-time in, I, I am the part-time owner you're talking about, right? In in the flagship, but someone needs to be there full-time doing the job that I would be doing. And that costs me a certain amount of money. Yes. Yeah. So, so it all comes down to capitalization. And instead of riding the wave of the business, like I make money when the business makes money, I stress when the business doesn't make money, I'm even Yes. And in my lifestyle. Um, I, I also like it forces you from day one to hire out, which yes. then forces you to learn leadership from day one. Cause the way the average micro gym owner does it, we, we build the airplane as we fly it mm-hmm. with the business revenue grows our HR and our business acumen. We could read like, again, you've been business for one year. You don't know dick about shit. You've been in business 10 years. You know, a lot more dick about a lot more shit. If you pay so, attention, if you pay attention and, but, it forces you to do that thing because what's the one thing every gym owner eventually gets stuck with? They're like, I got the handcuffs on. How do I walk away? How do mm-hmm. I like hand this off to someone else? Part-time right. owner doesn't have that problem. He had to entrust and develop people, you know, from day one. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, I think it's another reason I really like those individuals. I like those gyms odds. Yeah, I do too. I think, but what, what it all comes down to maturity mm-hmm. and, and, and funding. Sure. Right. Like, like straight up, if we had said, look, our total budget for this thing is, 200k and then after that we're out i'm screwed undercapitalized i am i would be making decisions that are not in the best interest of the long-term success of that business because i need to make them for the short-term success of that business so that we can maybe have a long-term so we overfunded that's that's the difference yeah that was when i opened up urban we uh we came in our appraisal came in like 140 grand under Mm -hmm. fuck I'd already got, I mean, I already had all my liquid getting ready to completely go down for everything else. Just the building was costing and barely, I had some reserve, but not, 
you know, that, that crushed me. That I was fucking poor for two years. Right. Yeah. Well, look, we have, um, I'm just texting someone cause I'm, I want to tell them I'm yeah. just a few minutes late for the next call, but, um, we have someone who wants to build with us in Manhattan. They want us to open an active life. The news, in it's cheap down there. I hear. Oh yeah. Super cheap. $120 a square foot. <laughs> $120 a square foot in rent. Make sure they um, measure that shit accurate to the fucking inch. Yeah. Well, so if I'm going to do that, I have to raise capital. I don't have the money necessary to do that. And when we did the math, you know, all in 500K was plenty for the Long Beach location. For the Manhattan location, because of the rent, I'm I'm 1.6, 1.7 million to feel safe. Yeah, I say about three times that, yeah. Yeah. So to do that, I need to bring investors in. And now that would, that makes things very, very, very different, right? Cause it's how do they get their money back? What is their influence? Those are the two big questions. What is, what is, what do they want collateralized if anything? Cause I'm not taking a loan, right? And what kind of attention do they expect of mine? What are the strings that are attached to that money? All to say, I would be an absent owner over there, not a not a part-time owner, right? a completely absent owner over there. And I think that the biggest mistake gym owners make, business owners in general make, is they undercapitalize the start because they overestimate what they'll be able to do with that amount of money. And then they run up against a wall that is, you are going to crash into this wall because you don't have enough money. Then you start making decisions that are out of alignment with your values. And then the business doesn't make it. Why wouldn't you take the loan? Um. I would. It would depend on okay. what I have to collateralize for it. Got it. The people, the people who want to do this with me do not want to make a loan. They want to invest. Sure. Get paid out 150, 200%, retain 10 to 20% of the ownership of the business. If you the, take a loan, that location. there'll be a personal guarantee. Could you go on with the bank as your first in line on the personal guarantee, but after a certain marker, like three years in and you show viability, the the investors they come in and step in and they split up your Maybe. personal guarantee something like it, that. I don't know. This really just fell on my plate last week, and so it's not something that I've been sure. deep in the weeds on yet. But noted. Maybe. Everybody, Sean fucking Pastooch, buddy. Thank you so much. I apologize tying you up longer for uh, you got your next no, call. That's fine. But uh, you have a good week, dude. I'll be uh, I'll be keeping tabs on you, and uh, we'll cut, we'll talk soon. Okay. We gotta get you into the space. Yeah, hundred yes, hundred percent. So I got the New Jersey trip. I will make. I will. And I'm sorry, the New York trip in July. I will be there. Swear to God, I will come and see you in July. All right. See you there. Yeah. All right, homie. Peace.